<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. The uh, Where's Mitch meme is, is, is rolling along. Here is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Washington, D.C. They're doing this Where's Mitch thing, you know, looking high and low for him. Search of Mitch McConnell. He's not on cloakroom. He's not in the Capitol. He's not in the Russell Building. He's not in the floor of the Senate. And 800,000 people don't have their paychecks. So where's Mitch? So she's got that down. I mean, <laughs> she has that down. Meanwhile, I shared this with you uh, yesterday or the day before, the story that was published in the Daily Caller where a right-winger, you know, basically just comes right out and says, eh, you know, we don't want anybody coming back to work. This shutdown is just fine with us. He was characterized as a senior official in the Trump administration. That's true. I think it's probably Stephen Miller. He wrote, we do not want most employees to return because we're working better without them. Now that we're shut down, not only are we identifying and eliminating much of the sabotage and waste, but we're finally working on the president's agenda. Wasteful government agencies are fighting for relevance, but they will lose. Now is the time to deliver historic change by cutting them down forever. Yes, let's do away with the FAA. Let's do away with the uh, tra air traffic control. Let's abolish the IRS. No, seriously. I mean, it sounds like I'm just making stupid talk here, right? But this morning, Charlie Kirk tweets out, we should use this government shutdown as a chance to shrink government permanently, privatize the TSA, privatize the FAA air traffic controllers, abolish the IRS, remove, quote, non-essential workers. He says, if workers aren't essential, they shouldn't be working in government in the first place. This is the kind of BS. This is the kind of story that you hear from the libertarian billionaires and the Republicans who hate the idea of America itself. They just hate the idea of America itself, a country where we the people run things. They're positively giddy about the idea that the oligarchs might take over everything and bend us to their will. I mean, that's really what's going on here. And that's what I just tweeted in response to his clip. And meanwhile, you got Ann Coulter now laying out, you know, this we're going back to the warfare that was when Reagan was president. He was like, oh, yeah, I fired those air traffic controllers. Look at all the benefits they have. They have better pay than you do. You should hate those people, too. But basically what she said is these government workers who are laid off because of the shakedown, because of Trump's shakedown, you know, they have benefits. Oh, my God, they have health insurance. They can take vacations. We can't have that, right? I mean, the rest of us have been just frozen out, but, you know, them? Here we go. 
It's very silly for Democrats to hold up funding the government while they're weeping about the federal employees, which with much better benefits, retirement plans and vacation and sick leave than anyone watching this program has. If they're going to keep weeping about these federal employees, okay, you're holding it up for 0.11% of the federal budget. I mean, at some point, I think people are going to realize that this is just the Democrats. They're obsessing on this wall because they want Trump to break a promise. Right. No, it's Donald Trump who's obsessing on the wall. He could open the government back up this afternoon. All he'd have to do is direct Mitch McConnell to hold a vote in the Senate. Boom. You've got your government open back up. But here is, as you just heard, Ann Coulter saying, you know, these federal workers, they have benefits. Oh, my God. You should envy them. You should hate them. How dare they on your tax dollar actually have a decent job? We can't have that. And of course, the, you know, the privatize everything. You, know, you go back with Charlie Kirk's logic here, privatize the TSA, privatize the FAA, abolish the IRS. Well, who benefits when you do that? Is it the average working person? No. It's the billionaires. If air travel becomes more dangerous, well, they, they don't care. They're flying in their private jets. If, you know, <laughs> I guarantee you the Koch brothers do not go through airport security. They've never, never interacted or rarely interact with a TSA officer. And the, and the same is true of uh, probably all the billionaires and multimillionaires in the United States. What they want is a country, a government, an economy, a society that is not run by we the people, but is run by the billionaires. It's run by the oligarchs. And that means that they've got to push government out of the way. This is the process that Ronald Reagan initiated, that he started in 1981 take down government. This is the process that Steve Bannon bragged about two years ago when he said that the principal goal of the Trump administration would be to dismantle the administrative state. What's the administrative state? Oh, it's like the EPA. They tell the Koch brothers refineries, you know, you can't pollute like that. Or they tell the coal companies, you can't dump your poison in the rivers. We can't have that. That's the administrative state. Well, Trump is taking it apart right now. The EPA is not doing inspections. The USDA is not doing inspections. The FDA is not doing their work. And, you know, how long is it going to be before we see a serious outbreak of foodborne disease or before some more phony uh, drugs made in China show up in our pharmaceutical supply? I mean, this is the dream of these neo-libertarian so-called Republicans, well, Republicans, I guess is the destruction of the government of the United States of America, replacing it with an autocracy, with a government where the head of the government is himself a billionaire and he works hand in glove with other billionaires to run the affairs of state. It's, this is what you have in other autocratic countries and this is what Trump is bringing to America. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. So where's Mitch? Mitch is playing along with the game. That's the simple answer. Turn it all over to the, to the autocrats, the oligarchs. Professor Richard Wolf is on the line with us. He's the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, the author most recently of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. Democracyatwork.info is the website. His uh, Twitter handle is Prof. Wolf with two Fs. Professor Wolf, welcome back. 
Thank you. So right now we've got this government shutdown. I've been pointing out over the last couple of days that I think all the previous government shutdowns were basically just Republican stunts, you know, efforts to try to prove that, you know, we don't really need that much government that we can do with fewer government workers. In fact, there was a tweet from a guy named Charlie Kirk, a right winger, who says we should use this government shutdown as a chance to shrink government permanently, privatize the TSA, privatize the FAA air traffic controllers, abolish the IRS, remove non-essential workers. If workers aren't essential, they shouldn't be working in government in the first place. This betrays not only a hatred of the values that created this country, you know, that we're all in this together and that government facilitates that role, but also a fundamental lack of understanding of how things go, how things work in this country, and basically in any economy. What are the economic consequences? If a short shutdown, you know, we can just kind of get by because federal agencies can spend their last few dollars over the course of a couple of weeks. When we go three, four, five, six, seven weeks, what happens? Well, an immense chain of dependency on the government, which has always been part of capitalism, not just in the United States, but wherever it has come. And by the way, that's not even peculiar to capitalism. Earlier systems relied on having a government perform all kinds of direct and indirect services. Americans are a very strange people in this notion that we can do without government. It's a make-believe. It's a kind of a utopian weirdness that infuses our culture. And what you're going to see, what you're already seeing, is all the complex ways in which the government sustains and supports the economy, keeps it running, keeps us from beating each other up, whether it is through the courts that make us adjudicate our differences in a, in a civilized way, or whether it's in all the public services, in transportation, in communication, the public parks and the military, and you name it, all of that is crucial to our economy. It's the biggest employer in the country. It's the biggest single buyer of goods and services. You shut that down, and it's only a matter of time, and not much time, before that is felt in every corner of this economy. And the longer it goes on, the more the damage. And not the least of the damage is indirect, in the sense that no businessman or woman charged with investing money now can afford to do that with the uncertainty of how many weeks or months this will go on. And that alone, the hesitancy to commit, will have a chain reaction of consequences added to the direct consequences of government cutback so that this is this is a theatrical political stunt but with very real and entirely negative consequences. So there was this article published over on uh, the Daily Caller, this conservative website a couple of days ago, in which the author basically said, don't bring back the uh, government workers. We're doing just fine. We're figuring out now where the waste and fraud is and we're discovering that we don't need all these people. This is kind of a variation on that tweet that I shared with you a minute ago. To what extent do you think it's possible that this, I'm calling it the Trump shakedown now, and I see the Trump shakedown uh, hashtag is starting to trend on Twitter. To what extent do you think that this might actually backfire on these right-wingers, because this is the first time that a, that a shutdown has gone so long that it actually starts to bite. It, it starts to cut into the economy. 
Well, I think you're going to you're seeing it already. I think from everything I can read, the political backlash has already begun. That the White House is now wondering how to get out of this disaster. That Pelosi and Schumer are sitting there with grins on their faces as this is costing the Republicans more and more. But I think you'll see that person after person will be touched in some way by this. A small businessman or woman whose business is going down because the federal employees that are part of his or her business can't afford to pay. You're going to see it play out in the months ahead as it slowly dawns on retailers across the country that people without a paycheck tend to use their credit card. But if they use their credit card, they build up their debts. If they, use, if they have more debts, more of their income goes to pay off interest. Less of it can be used to buy goods and services. So as this lasts, You're just building the constituency to understand the fraud of the right-wing utopian notion that we can do without a government. You know, every company spends time trying to figure out who their employees are that they can do without. The government is like any other employer. Are there some people you could get by without? Yes. But will that mean more work for those left behind? Yes. Will that cost you all kinds of problems? Well, if you're not crazy, you know that it will. And so you have a different attitude before you go through making bold statements about doing without people. And I think this is a process of learning that the American people will now go through as this lasts. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, people are confronting a, um, you know, a massive, the largest secret teachers strike in the country. I think probably one of the largest strikes, uh, certainly since the 60s or 70s. Uh, you probably know better than I. How is this playing out and what impact does that sort of thing have, both politically and economically? Very parallel, because you see what that is, is one step short of a government shutdown. And by that, I mean that what you've been doing is pinching public education from the public universities right on down into the kindergarten at either end, you've been pinching them for years, cutting back on their budgets, cutting back on the support for teachers, cutting back in terms of increasing class size so each teacher has more students. And redirecting money into for-profit charter schools. Absolutely. Letting them siphon off the students that are not difficult to service so that the rest of the public school system has a disproportionate of people costing extra money just as you give them less money, and eventually this crazy behavior blows up. And what you're seeing now is the largest, one of the largest school systems in the country with tens of thousands of teachers going out on strike, having absorbed these cutbacks for a long time, they finally had enough. And they're reacting also to the teacher strikes last year in West Virginia, Arizona, and several other states where they were able to win finally some decent catch-up to what's been going on. But you know, for me as an academic myself, it is unbelievable. We teach in the university that the future of the United States and the world economy depends above all on the quantity and the quality of educated young people entering the labor force. That's the future of the United States as of any other country. For us to be cutting back on public schools is literally the economic equivalent of shooting yourself in the foot. It is self-destructive behavior driven by a kind of 
tax cut profit maximization mania that is in the end going to destroy itself. It is, it's watching a train heading into a stone wall and everybody on it seems mesmerized and frozen in place rather than taking the steps which luckily the teachers are forcing on the folks in Los Angeles, it's long overdue and it's needed all across the country. It seems to me like so much of this stuff from Reagan in January of 1981 when he was inaugurated saying government is not the solution to your problems, government itself is the problem. From that point all the way up to today, this defunding of public services, the stopping of maintenance of national infrastructure, the cutting of money to education, the shutdowns, the defunding of the EPA and the Interior Department, on and on and on. You go through all these things, and it seems like all of these efforts are pointing in one direction, and that's autocracy. That's a government run by oligarchs, an oligarchy, essentially. I know that you know Mussolini famously made the trains run on time. Is there an argument to be made for oligarchy? I mean, you know, you've got, you know, some presumably very smart billionaires who have poured hundreds of millions of dollars into creating an oligarchy in the United States, ruled by the rich, replacing small d democracy with the so-called free market, or at least the people who own the free market. Is there any argument to be made for that at all, you know, from the point of view of all the rest of us? Or is this purely a power grab by very rich and powerful people? I'm afraid it's the latter. It makes no sense economically. The irony, it doesn't even make sense for the oligarchs. Unless they all plan to move to China pretty soon, they're here in the United States, and in the end, they depend on the health of the larger American economy to sustain their oligarchic wealth and power. And it won't be the first time in history that the people at the top have so bled the mass of people below them that they end up shooting themselves literally in the foot, undercutting their own situation. The economies that today are admired for the extraordinary economic growth they have achieved, and pick two of them, China and Germany, very different countries. But in both of them, you see the opposite of what we do here, the ramping up of public expenditure in many areas. Germany decided last year to eliminate all tuition payments for all college students, not just, by the way, German citizens, but anybody who comes to Germany. They want to be the center of innovation and productivity growth and an educated workforce they know is crucial. The Chinese are building new universities literally every two or three months. It is the opposite. We admire their growth. We can't come close to achieving it. And yet we don't draw the inference that maybe killing our government and government services is the problem rather than the solution. Amen. Professor Richard Wolff, uh, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, democracyatwork.info. His most recent book, Capitalism's Crisis Deepens. You can tweet him at Prof. Wolf with two Fs. Professor Wolf, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you, Tom, and look forward to talking with you again. Back at you. Hey, you know, you're going to start hearing nonstop weight loss commercials everywhere. And every time you do, I want you to think about Riduzone. It's the only weight loss product I endorse and the one that worked for my wife. Louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule and your metabolism, too, so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets and you burn calories faster. 
With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, to use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Congressman Mark Pocan, he's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov, and you can tweet him at rep, as in representative, rep Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Real glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. So Nancy Pelosi, she's like a, a karate expert or something. I mean, jujitsu, using Trump's own desire for publicity against him, saying, well, you know, uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson delivered their State of the Union addresses in writing. You can, too. You know, it's, it's pretty yeah. amazing. I always explain back home, Donald Trump is probably first a reality show star, second a teaming businessman, and maybe third a president of the United States, unfortunately. That's how he looked mm. at the job. And he loves a camera and the press, and he would love to do the State of the Union and say all kinds of things to blame Democrats. And I think, you know, Nancy Pelosi took him right to task and said, fine, if we're still shut down, it's probably not a good idea to have the State of the Union. I think it goes after some of the craziness he's done. Just this week, we're ordering back 46,000 furloughed IRS workers to work but no pay, 3,600 people in the FAA. This guy doesn't understand that when he does this juvenile approach to how he runs the country, that real people are impacted. And now we're asking more people to go back to work for no pay. It's completely unacceptable. It's crazy. And I think that she took him to task so strongly is smart. And we've got to figure out how to get the government reopened. The economy is hurting. Even Trump administration doubled their estimates. This is going to cost the economy. It's time to have some adult behavior. Meanwhile, now that the Democrats are actually running the House of Representatives, really good legislation is being passed. A, a national raise to $15 an hour by 2024. Yeah, in fact, this afternoon we're announcing, and I'm one of the lead sponsors with uh, Bobby Scott, who chairs the Ed and Labor Committee, bill to raise the minimum wage to $15, as you said, by 2024, immediately start getting the wage to go up, like so many states and local communities have increased the wage, but no family can live on 15000 a year, and, you know, less than 10% of the people who receive the minimum wage right now are under 20, so this is one of these myths, right? It's a teenager, it's someone who's doing this for pocket money. No, like the median age is in the mid-30s. Uh, these are real people working. It'll increase the pay for 40 million people in this country. And uh, it's going to be one of the priority bills that we move through Congress. Yeah. The amazing thing is that I believe that when I was a teenager, the minimum wage actually was mostly the teenage wage. And most wage earners had you know, a union job or its equivalent. It was about two-thirds of the economy, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's why I'm... I, I love when I go to a school, I always ask that question, what percent of people do you think who make minimum wage are teenagers? And usually I get answers like 70 percent, 50 percent, nine point, I think, six or nine point eight percent. So it really shows these are people who are just working and working poor in this country. And we're long, long overdue. doesn't matter where you live in the country. You should have a wage that can support your family. Yeah. Amen. So shall we pick up some phone calls? Absolutely. OK, Richard in Calumet, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hey, Mark. Uh, I'm a disabled person, and I've got a friend in your state 
that's disabled. We're having problems getting our medications. I'm hearing that they're going to cut our food stamps here next month. And what do we do? Is that because of the shutdown, Richard? That's what I'm being told. Yes, yeah, so, uh, Richard, I think I just saw something come across my desk this morning that February you should be fine, but they are saying if it goes beyond that, they do have some structural issues. They're going to make it very difficult. And this is Donald Trump's problem. He doesn't realize that people actually rely on the services of the federal government. You know, maybe Donald Trump, when he was a developer, didn't in the same ways, but most people do have a connection to how government works for them, and it's going to negatively affect a lot of people. This week, again, we've put several proposals to reopen the government. I think the most important is we've been putting out reopen every agency but Homeland Security, bump funding for them for another month so they're funded. And if we really want to have a talk about border security, let's do that. But holding everything hostage, including tax refunds and supplemental nutrition and assistance and other things, is a really uh, awful idea. And we keep gaining Republican supporters. So I, I hope eventually we can get the president to do the right thing. But, you know, this is not the way. There, there are not major civilized countries that have regular shutdowns like we do. We stand out for this dysfunction, and it's not something we should be proud of. David in Mamaronek, New York, here on the air with Congressman Pokian. Hi, good afternoon. I read a lot of financial statements at night, and I'm looking at America's got $9 trillion in corporate debt. And I look at companies like Ford. I mean, 50% of their last financial statement interest expense was as a ratio of the operating income. I mean, that's, that's what's really squeezing the UAW salaries. And it's really squeezing salaries across the country. When you look at their balance sheets, most of that debt went to stock buybacks or directly to offices' compensation. Is anybody in Congress looking at this stuff, calling it out, having plans for it, or are we just going to have another bailout? Thank you. Yeah, David, so I think what we're not necessarily addressing is the debt, but what you mentioned what the debt is being spent on. So when it's spent on stock buybacks and additional pay and stock incentives for boards of directors, uh, that's not going to employees. It's not being reinvested in the company. That is lost money. And, you know, when the tax breaks that were passed at the end of 2017 by Republicans, 83% of that money goes to the top 1%. This is exactly what we're seeing. This is bad for the economy. This is bad for businesses. People are talking about it. Sometimes it's harder to get everyone in the media to understand what we're talking about as far as the extent of this. But I think you will have another wave looking at this when people start to get their W-2s, which they're getting right now, and when they file their taxes, you're going to find a lot of people who were promised a cut and didn't get one, and I think it's going to reinvigorate the conversation about where the money's going. So I'm hopeful of that. Mary in Las Vegas, you're on the air with uh, Representative Pocan. Good morning. I am unimpressed with Barr's testimony the other day. I think he's been out of the loop for too long, 25 or 30 years. With regard to the emoluments clause, he should have a real good understanding of that. I'm beginning to think he's Trump's Ray Cohn, and it's, it's scary. He talks about the possibility of locking reporters up, what, other than the Fox opinion people? And then he doesn't want to take the ethics committee's, uh, his opinion is the last straw and rather to put forward Mueller's findings, then what's the point of having an ethics committee? These are scary times. And also, I, as an aside, I have a friend who works for a company that uh, does defense work. Two more weeks, he says, and they're having layoffs. Mary, thank, thank you. Thank you. 
So, Mary, uh, one of the things that Tom and I was talking about a, a little earlier, not on the, the show, but is uh, the fact that, you know, Barr's history goes back to advising Bush about pardoning folks um, during the Iran-Contra investigation. So, you know, now if this person is the one consulting the president, what does that mean? So he may have said some good things in committee about um, making sure the Mueller investigation continues, but if he just has end-run ideas on how to get around it, then you were certainly not any better off. So I hope that the Senate uh, spends a good time uh, having this um, research about him and uh, debating, because uh, there certainly are, I think, a lot more questions, as you pointed out. Yeah, this is the headline from December 25th, 1992, New York Times. Bush pardons six in Iran affair, aborting a Weinberger trial. Prosecutor assails cover-up. That's just the headline. And then it says, in a single stroke, Mr. Bush swept away one conviction, three guilty pleas, and two pending cases, virtually decapitating what was left of Special Prosecutor Walsh's efforts. Mr. Walsh bitterly condemned the president's action, charging that, quote, the Iran-Contra cover-up, which has continued for more than six years, has now been completed. And he added, the prosecutor charged that Mr. Weinberger's efforts to hide his notes may have forestalled impeachment proceedings against President Reagan and formed part of a pattern of deception and obstruction. And apparently Barr was right in the middle of all this. It's pretty amazing. I mean, people just don't even read the New York Times, you know, from 1992. Anyhow. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's talk media for the sane among us. The Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. You've probably heard a lot of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. Nearly 9% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars in narcotics from Mexico to Canada. This Wednesday at 10, 9 Central, WGN America premieres the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure! The series premieres Wednesday at 10, 9 Central, only on WGN America. Available on DirecTV, Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. Danny and Bo Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, thanks, Tom. This is actually the very first time I've ever called into a TV station. I appreciate everything you do. Thank you. Um, my question is, um, and I've wondered this for a considerable amount of time, what would actually happen legally if Trump was to refuse to leave if he was subpoenaed, if he was impeached? or they tried to enforce the impeachment hearings, and he just said no. Is there any kind of legal precedent that they would follow in order to uh, do that? And, and also, what would happen if that was also coupled with a Hail Mary for him to say, I'm going to declare a national emergency? Yeah, so Danny, I, you know, we are all living through uncharted territory with this president, I think the law would be clear enough that if he were impeached, uh, that there's a way to make sure he leaves office. I don't think he can barricade the doors and stay somehow, so I'm not too concerned on that. Now, on your other point, though, you know, uh, there's lots of things. You know, he was just 
they're considering an emergency over this fake border crisis. And then uh, even the Tea Party in Congress uh, told him he better not do that. So, you know, I am hoping that, um, you know, if we get to the point that there are impeachment proceedings and he was impeached, uh, we won't have that problem. But um, I certainly understand why you have concerns. There's so much uncharted territory these days. Uh, sometimes it's hard for us to fathom. Kurt in Goshen, Indiana, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I got a question about the pension relief. I have 37 years, and I have still five years ago before I'm 62. And our pension is going to run out in 2025. Is there any chance that there's going to be any kind of legislature that's going to pass relief in the next year? Yeah, so, Kurt, as you know, last year there was a committee put together between both houses uh, of Congress to try to deal with this, and they didn't deal with it. You know, multi-employer pension funds, a number that are at the breaking point, as you know, with central states and others, as well as other pension issues that we need to deal with as a country. They didn't get anywhere by the end of last year, but I do think now that we're in charge in Congress, this is an issue, the Butch Lewis Act, that you're probably familiar with, which would help to solve the crisis that at least central states is facing right now. Uh, is something that many Democrats have supported, so I'm hoping that we might be able to pass it out and try to find a way to find some compromise with the Senate on this. So don't be totally despondent on this, even though uh, many of us were not happy that last year things didn't move better. It just wasn't the right time with Republicans completely in control. But every member, regardless if you're a Democrat or Republican, have people who are affected by this. And uh, I am still hopeful we can find a solution. My recollection is that this all started in the 80s when the Reagan administration changed or maybe Congress changed the law so that companies could book pension money as assets rather than as liabilities, rather than as money owed to their workers. It was money that the company had, and thus it got tied up in uh, bankruptcies and things like that. Am I yeah, remember that right? Yeah, a number of problems, and there was an especially bad deal with UPS and other things that all surface that created a lot of the problems. Yeah, amazing stuff. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Ah, yes. Thanks for taking my call, Mr. Pocan. Maybe you can help me. If Donald Trump pulls out of NATO like he keeps bragging, is, can that fall in a treasonous because it seems to help uh, Putin? Or can you impeach him? Because it's not going to go far because we got to start using Mitch McConnell in the same sentence as Donald Trump. They're both in the same bed now. Or am I talking stupid? No, Rush, you're right. Mitch McConnell um, has decided to place his spine in the same place that they kept Paul Ryan's spine for the last two years and not stand up to the president. Seems to not be willing to take any bill that we send over to reopen the government unless the president says he's going to accept it. So, you know, him being up in 2020, I think he's worried about a primary, but certainly not going to get any profile and courage award. You're not wrong on that front. As far as NATO, um, I think there are plenty of Republicans that would not support that move. I think it's a lot of the president's ill-informed bravado on some of these issues. I don't expect that to be a reality, and I think he would get tremendous pushback from his own party. Peg in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I do a lot of progressive radio, and I've been hearing a lot of pushback about the progressive caucus being joined by the Blue Dogs, and that Pelosi kind of put people on committees that were on the more conservative side. Mr. Pocan, could you speak to that, please? You know, thanks for asking that. What I have found is there are certain elements, social media especially, 
that really thrive by failure and they don't ever want to ever think something good can happen. You know, and you get used to it. You get thick skin when you're in my job, but you got people who think that everyone's a corporate shill and that, you know, the system is terrible. And, and there's many good things that happen. Specifically to what you said, first of all, there's no merging with blue dogs and CPC. We're about as far apart within the democratic spectrum as possible. In fact, just recently when there were committee assignments given out, Pramila Jaipal and I, who are the co-chairs of the Progressive Caucus, got a commitment from Leader Pelosi that in the same proportion we are in the caucus, which is 40%, we would get on the exclusive committees. And lo and behold, I think we were at 54% for Ways and Means, 40% for Appropriations, and I think it was 31 or 32 on energy and commerce. And, and to be perfectly honest, we only had one additional name that didn't make it on that committee. We probably wouldn't have got there with the people who wanted to be on um, anyway. But overall, that's over 40%. We just got on financial services, another one that we were fighting for, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley and uh, Katie Porter and a bunch of other really impressive progressives. We're going to have a good number there. So um, there are some who think that there's like one or two pure people in Congress. And, uh, you know, fine, if that's what they want to think. I, I've got a big caucus, and are all 95 of our members in step on everything? No, but the vast majority of our caucus is very progressive. They're, they're the ones who advance issues like Medicare for All, $15 minimum wage, a lot of other standards. But there is a clear amount of misinformation out there, especially on social media. I've learned to kind of roll with it. It's a little difficult, although I do have to admit it is at times it does dampen the spirit uh, when you see some of the, the chatter that's out there, especially when it's so blatantly wrong. Yeah. And unfortunately, some people just want to hear what's wrong rather than the truth. One of the things I've noticed is an awful lot of people who are retweeting that kind of stuff have like eight followers and 2,000 tweets. I have tweets. noticed the same time. I think they're bots. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why are bots trying to sow dissension among Democrats? You know, a I think like the, the activity we saw with the election. Exactly. I think the answer is fairly self-evident. Congressman Mark Pocan, it's Middays with Mark. Congressman Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, taking your calls. Bill in Midlothian, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I have a question to ask that I haven't heard anybody discuss, and I had noticed it last year in, in the tax law, um, that... It's form number 2106. Basically, anybody is an employee that has uh, all unreimbursed expenses can't take that off the taxes anymore. And there's a lot of people that are going to be affected by that, uh, and not just people in sales, but people that drive or people that have to do anything. And I, one of the reasons why I did not vote for Congressman Bratt was because of that one issue because I could never, ever even get an answer as to why it was done that way, except for the whole, whole macro picture of what the tax bill is. And there's a lot of things like that in the tax law. Everybody talks about, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the drop-in rate for the top 1% or one-tenth percent, but there's a lot of other stuff in the weeds there like this that I think can really affect people. And I don't think people are going to notice it until they do their taxes. Um, I'm... I'm hoping with a new Congress that something can be addressed about that, even though I know that, it, you know, it's only going to go but so far with the way the Senate works. Right. Let's, but, let's, so add, let's uh, give, give Congressman Pocan a chance to answer that, Bill. Thank yeah. you. Bill, you bring up um, a great point and something I've been saying for quite a while is that when people get their W-2s and when they go 
to file their taxes, they are going to find out that a number of the deductions that were taken by middle-class, working-class people are not there. They didn't go after the deductions for the rich when they gave them the big tax drop, but they did take away things that affect working people. So a classic example, if you're a union electrician, and I heard this in Iowa and I heard it in Minnesota when I was on the campaign trail this fall, a union electrician, you can no longer deduct your travel if you had to travel for work. You can no longer deduct your tools. You can no longer deduct your union dues. This union electrician I talked to in Rochester, Minnesota, had his accountant run on the program he had with the new rules, his taxes for last year, and he would have had to pay $3,000 more in taxes under the tax cut that was passed by the Republicans. So there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be very unhappily surprised when they go to file their taxes, especially if they took advantage of some of those deductions that they needed to for work. So, Bill, you bring up a great point. In fact, I'm talking about doing a town hall in a few weeks on this back home because I think a lot more people are going to be impacted by this than, than people expect. Linda in Holbrook, Massachusetts, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Why do the Democrats not blame the entire Republican Party instead of just focusing on Donald Trump all the time? He would not have the power that he has if they weren't standing complicit with him. And I think they are totally responsible, and I put the blame squarely on them. And I saw a poll this morning on the Morning Joe show that said they blame only 5% Republicans. But I noticed Democrats don't blame the Republicans either. They say, oh, that Donald Trump... No, I, I hear what you're seeing, and I think what gets reported, and I think for the most part you're right. The focus has been on the president since he said he would take ownership on it. You know, what can you get more than his own words on video uh, telling the Democratic leaders that he's taking ownership for the shutdown, although, of course, he's trying to shed that now. We have put more pressure on Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell's saying he won't take things up in the Senate that we're sending over. Um, we've had many votes to hold House Republicans accountable, but interestingly, we're being joined by a number of Republicans each time we do these votes. So. Um, you're right. It should be bigger uh, focused, but I think when you have the President of the United States say uh, so very uh, publicly that he's taking ownership, that's probably why most of the focus has been on him uh, and, by extension, the Republicans in Congress. Ed in Belfair, Washington. Good morning, Congressman Pocan. Mine has to do with the federal workers. Thank them for coming into work without pay. But if the ATF and the air traffic controllers were to actually walk off the job, could Mr. Trump have a national emergency and stick military personnel or the National Guard in those positions? Thank you. Yeah, Ed, I, I think he could. I mean, there's a problem. Also, if they don't show up, they don't get paid under the furlough rules. So it's an even greater hardship. Like, they won't get back pay, like, like we voted to do that. So, you know, one of the things uh, I think that if I was a TAA worker or an air traffic controller, I would have to look at how do you make... Republicans understand something, and the best way that they understand things i found is when they're personally impacted. When a member has a gay son or a, a lesbian daughter, they suddenly might be for equality, but it takes them being affected personally. Um, on Thursday between noon and 3, uh, out of two airports in Washington, D.C., 90% uh, of the members of Congress will be flying. If, if I worked for one of those agencies, I certainly think uh, I would find a way to make it very personal uh, about what the impact of their jobs are since they have to work for no pay. Um, I just think they need to send a bigger message, but I don't think it's to not show up. And, and I've talked to them. They, they also are very committed to their jobs, but we need to make Republican members of Congress feel it personally, unfortunately, 
to make them understand what they're doing to the country. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of TSA members who listen to the show. If, if all the times that I get recognized in airports are any indication, and I said on the air a couple of days ago, close down the pre-lines first, <laughs> you're going to have some serious leverage. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not asking you to recommend that, obviously, but... Uh, it, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm just saying, if I was a TSA agent in Washington, D.C., at either Dulles or National Airport between 12 and 3 on Thursday when 90% of the members weren't flying through there, I would find a clever way to make sure I get their attention. <laughs> yeah. I, I find it hard not to say that. Yeah. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for dropping by again this week. Absolutely. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for listening. It is such a pleasure to have you with us every week uh, taking these calls. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you. Congressman Pocan's website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark. I just Pocan. printed out a copy of the Washington Post for May 1st of this year. No, it's not May 1st yet, but uh, it, the headline story, unprecedented. Trump hastily departs White House, ending crisis. Celebrations break out worldwide as Trump era ends. Entire globe breathes sigh of relief at end of dark period. President Pence begins clipped duck term. New president starts term penced in by predecessors embarrassing reign of failure and crime. It's a phony newspaper, eight pages. And it's being passed out all over Washington, D.C. right now. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Jacob in Berkeley, Michigan. Hey, Jacob, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Maybe you've touched on this before. I don't listen to your show every day. But, but I think in general, liberals and Democrats, what we don't do a good job pointing out is that Trump's not a liar. He's a dictator or a tyrant. You know, George W. Bush was a liar. He lied a lot about the Iraq War, about tax cuts. Trump is incapable of ever telling the truth. He's just like any dictator, you know, whether it's in North Korea or it's Putin or name a country. If you take any of his speeches, you can replace immigrants and Mexicans with Kurdish people or Jews or any persecuted minority group. I think we need to stop calling Trump a liar. You're really saying it's a dictator. America has never seen anything like this. Yeah. A wannabe dictator. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely an autocrat in waiting. I mean, this is, this is his entire worldview. Jacob, spot on. I agree with you, and I think you said it very well. Thanks for the call. Scott in Oxford, Michigan. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon, Tom. I missed the conversation with Congressman Pocan. I wish I could have caught him. But if you were to go as a small business owner to get a loan, wouldn't you have to show what that loan's going to be spent on, how you're going to pay it back, and all the other details that are involved in order to get that loan? Yeah, of course. Why hasn't there been any kind of $5 billion breakdown given to Congress as to how the money that Trump is begging for, for his monument, is going to be used? Wouldn't that be something right. that, if you were a congressperson, you'd want to see that before you even consider it? Well, that's if you're taking it seriously. I mean, the best estimates are that if you want it, if, if we're going to build a wall that's going to complete the southern border, it's going to cost something on the order of 50 to $100 billion. The $5 billion is just a down payment on it. But Trump realizes that this is a scam. You know, the whole thing is a scam. And so if Trump gets $5 billion and he uses that money to build two miles of wall, He'll send out lots and lots of pictures of that with him standing in front of it. It'll say Trump wall up at the top. And, he, and, and everybody watching Fox News will think that he's finished the wall and he did it for only $5 billion. This is just a scam. Well, I, like, I like your idea that you floated last week. End the subsidies for oil companies, the $300 billion. But I, I can go a step further. Um, that $300 billion could definitely be used to build a wall that Mexico obviously is never going to pay for. But we can put all those oil company logos on the wall. 
Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Great idea. Scott, thank you for the call. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV in uh, Oxford, Michigan. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Antoinette in Puyallup, Washington. Hey, Antoinette, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's on your mind today? Well, I'm senior citizen, so I'm not totally good with tech stuff, but it seems to me like there's so many young people or so many people that are doing Facebook and Twitters and stuff. Wouldn't it be a possibility to have a Twitter rampage objecting to the shutdown and also objecting to William Barr, although I guess we can't stop that. But couldn't we start some kind of campaign with Twitter or Facebook or whatever? Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of activity all over Twitter and Facebook. I've tweeted a whole bunch of stuff about Barr. I'm just amazed that it's gotten so few retweets. It makes you wonder oh. about the Twitter algorithms and whatnot. But well, what, how, do, how do I tweet you? At Tom like underscore, T-H-O-M underscore Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N. Okay, well, I'm glad there's something going on, but I wish it would get bigger. Okay, okay. it will. Antoinette, Thank thanks you. a lot okay. for the call. It's great to hear from you. Chuck in South Milwaukee. Hey, Chuck, what's up? Not too much, Tom. Uh, listen, the William Barr matter with the Iran-Contra also needs to be understood in historical context that several days for the pardon of Weinberger, a federal judge had ordered Weinberger to turn over those diaries. Right. To Lawrence Walsh, to the special prosecutor. That's right. To Lawrence Walsh. And Bush Sr. was going to just pardon Weinberger in order to try to get out from under it. And it was Barr himself who said, no, no, you can't do this just by pardoning Weinberger because it will be suspicious. You'll never get away from the accusation that, that you've done this just to protect yourself. You have to pardon them all. I spent a good chunk of the morning going through the 1992, actually the whole month of December in the New York Times, looking for articles about William Barr's, Bill Barr's participation in those pardons. And there's some just scathing op-eds by William Sapphire, for example, just calling it a crime and a cover-up. But I couldn't find anything that specifically said that Barr was the guy behind the pardons. Where, where, what is your source, Chuck? Robert Perry, and I forget his, uh, his cohort that ran Consortium News, Right. they for decades were on the Iran-Contra oh, yeah. trail, yeah. and a lot of this sort of information comes from their discoveries over the years and things that they were able to flesh out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to do some more, uh, some more Googling this afternoon, or duck, duck going this afternoon. Chuck, uh, thanks. I, I agree with you, and I think that the Republican Party pulled 
Barr out of the refrigerator, basically, and sent him in specifically to save Donald Trump. I really believe that that's what's going on, and I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to recommend that Trump pardon all these people, just like he recommended that George Herbert Walker Bush pardon all those people. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Online with us is the author of Sideswiped, former Congressman Bob Ney. Bob, welcome back. What's going on in the world? Well, thank you, Tom. It's kind of a historic day, I would say, for Speaker Pelosi because all of the Republicans, Republicans unanimously supported a continuing resolution to uh, open the government back up. Technically. Really? I don't know if you've... Have in you the House of Representatives, you mean? Yes. What happened was, and I'm, I'm being uh, facetious, technically they did. Congressman Clyburn was you know, presiding with Congressman Butterfield. Mm-hmm. And then Congressman Hoyer had to step into the fray of it when the, the battle began, because what happened was that a continuing resolution with unanimous consent was brought forth. And as a result, if there are no objections to that, then it's passed and a motion to lay it on the table is set aside so it passes right right so somebody was asleep at the switch and you know you got to stand up and yell you know i object so no republicans objected and thus it passed by unanimous consent (laughs) so yes technically the republicans have by unanimous consent reopened the government now they then said look we yelled and steny warrior said if in fact uh, we would have heard that. We would have made the motion because, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you? Right. Well, then the Republicans wanted to bring members back who had already left the Capitol. So there were plenty of people around, I think, when this happened, you know. Mm. And I just think it's kind of ironic. Technically, they are on record now. Of course, they'll clarify with the congressional record, but unanimous consent. So the House has now made a move, you know, once again to reopen the government. Amazing. Amazing. But, you know, it's still nothing's happening in the Senate. and We still don't know which, where Mitch McConnell is. Well, as you know, there were a group of Democratic members, I think three or four, that did something that it was cute. I mean, they went searching for Mitch McConnell. They went to different areas of the Senate looking for Mitch McConnell into the leader's lounge, looking for Mitch McConnell, and they couldn't find him. But I think that in the serious note, I mean, the key, of course, is Mitch McConnell. And how will he react once members continue to get the heat? Because the president... Tom has to choose between the wall or the economy, because this is starting to obviously unravel in many ways the effect of the shutdown. And it it will unravel. It will affect a lot of things in different parts of the stock market. So the president's got to choose on that. I don't think McConnell will react, period, to any form of pressure, except if enough members start to go to him. That's going to be a different ballgame if they will do that. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it plays out. What else is there, Bob? Have you talked much about the State of the Union? No, not really. Um, You know, uh, Nancy Nancy Pelosi has uh, essentially withdrawn the invitation. I don't think that she's formally said no, but she's uh, implying that. Well, December 1867, if my memory serves me right, is when the current floor of the House was opened. Prior to that, Statuary Hall was there with 162 members. As the nation grew and they added members, they had to leave Statuary Hall, so they you know, created the, the new one, mm-hmm. uh, which is the current floor of the House. And since that time of December of 1867, up to President Woodrow Wilson, no president had made an address in that chamber. Woodrow Wilson was the first president to do so. 
Now, Washington had made an address in what they called the oven, which was a temporary little shack, sort of, that was called the House floor in Washington's time. Mm-hmm. But there is nothing legally about that a president has to be allowed to come to the floor of the House. In fact, prior to Woodrow Wilson, people simply, you know, wrote a letter or whatever. Yeah. And by the way, one of the reasons that, and, you know, I've been through, you know, the State of the Unions, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. One of the reasons, though, that it was frowned upon until Wilson's time was because they considered it too much like a king right. arriving. Yeah, speaking yeah. to his subjects, yeah. And, exactly. and which is exactly what Trump wants. But yeah, the Constitution simply says that the president shall, from time to time, inform Congress of the State of the Union. It doesn't specify a time, a date, a place, a method. Thomas Jefferson had a high, squeaky voice and was embarrassed to speak in public. He mm-hmm. submitted all of his in writing, for example. Right. Now, you know, with Speaker Pelosi, although the security is put together, you know, a long while before, she's mentioned that, of course, in there. But I think she's also pushing the president's buttons. Yeah, what of course. What I think she's doing. Yeah. How, do you, basic, you know. how do you think this is going to play out, Bob? With the State of the Union or the wall? No, the, the shakedown, Trump's, Trump's shakedown. He either goes for the emergency. If he doesn't go for the emergency, because if he goes for the emergency, the shutdown's over with because he'll say, I don't need it. Then he fights the court. You know, to see if right. He, this is what I was predicting a week ago, but it didn't happen. But it didn't happen. So now he's holding. Now I think eventually this gets to the point where they're you know they're going to go around him. I assume enough pressure builds. They want to finish this and get it done with and move on. And then he would probably choose to not veto it, but to say, okay, you know, I'm I'm going to go along with this. But I'm going to continue to get my wall somewhere else. You know, right. I, I just didn't think it would go on this long, Tom. Yeah, neither did I. So you think that Mitch McConnell eventually is going to is going to hold a vote on? I think he doesn't care right now, but if his members care, he will care. Yeah. Oh man, Bob Nay with Talk Media News, the author of Sideswipe. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Tom. Hey, we have a whole bunch of special content just for our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman, uh, T-H-O-M Hartman with two N's. It includes uh, you know, the entire three hours of our program every day. The whole, the, the entire program is available there that you can watch. And also, we regularly put up new rants. The one I just did is about the Supreme Court. It's based in part on my book, Unequal Protection, and based in part on a book I'm writing, I'm working on right now in the Supreme Court, and in part just, you know, what, what I know and you need to know about how the Supreme Court got as badly corrupted as it is. How did we get here, right? I mean, how did we end up with, with a bunch of crazy right-wingers on the court? And what can we do about it? There actually are ways that we can address this problem of the corruption of the Supreme Court. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Harpin. Tom Harpin here with you. Uh, Louise is telling me that Alternet published my article about William Barr. William Barr's shady track record of covering up the crimes of Republican presidents. And, you know, I start right out by saying Bill Barr knows how to cover up the crimes of a Republican president. We know because he's done it before. And then I lay out what he did. I shared this story with you a couple days ago, but it finally made its way into print. You can find it at alternate.org right now. Please share it. Spread it around. Okay, Mark in uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, not too bad there, uh, Tom. Hey, look here. First, I want to say I am very impressed at uh, your grasp on history and how well you and quickly you respond to the different callers when they're calling about the historical events. So let me start by saying so. But next, I was going to say I don't think it's a good idea to uh, impeach Trump 
And I say that because I'm more concerned about the vice president pardoning everyone once this guy has been impeached. That's actually what my article uh, on Alternet is about right now. It's about how William Barr engineered George Herbert Walker Bush's pardon of Casper Weinberger and five other people for Iran-Contra, and in the process shut down the investigation so badly that the independent counsel, Lawrence Walsh, that generation's version of the special prosecutor, that independent counsel, in the headline in the New York Times on Christmas Day 1992, called it a cover-up. Uh-huh. Well, I told you I was impressed. Yeah. Well, that's, all, that's all I had for you, buddy. Okay, well, that's a good one, Mark, and and, and thank you for, for raising that, because I think you're spot on. I think you, you, you nailed it. Roger in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Roger, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm calling to say I got a solution to solve this, uh, this shutdown. As truck drivers, what we all need to do, truck drivers, is just stop driving for about three weeks, and let's see how these Republicans get their goods and their foods and all the stuff that they need to uh, stay alive. And they would certainly reopen the government. What do you think? I, you know, I, I agree with you, Roger, in principle, but I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, prior to Reagan, truck drivers had a fair amount of independence and a, and a reasonable pay. Since Reagan, you know, his deregulation of the trucking industry, most truck drivers have ended up not as owner operators, but as employees. And if they took three weeks off, they'd be fired. I don't see how it happens. Well, that's, that's, that's what they have to do. They have to stand up. Yeah. If they want well, to it's, open the government. Are yes, you a truck driver, Roger? Yes, I'm an independent contractor. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you know what I'm talking about. I, I think that we all need to be pitching in to, to stop this shakedown by Donald Trump and the Republicans and Mitch McConnell, and that there's a whole variety of ways to do it, but I would be very reluctant to counsel anybody to shoot themselves in the foot. Roger, thank you for the call. Marie in Pipe City, Texas. Hey, Marie, what's up? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to inject a little sarcastic humor here. Uh, I've lived in Texas all my life, and I'm getting really tired of the southern border thing. If they're going to make a wall, they should just wall in all of the United States so everyone can benefit as we're going to benefit on the southern border. Right, across the country. I'm talking about the north, south. East and West. There you go. And as Sarah Sanders said, they're coming like from everywhere, from the <laughs> land, air, and sea. So yeah. I don't really know how they're going to protect the airspace. But then again, you have to remember we are also not only doing the wall so people can stay out, but we should also remember a few years ago in Danamora when we had those two escape and almost made it to Canada. He was, what, how many miles away? At least we can build a wall to protect people from us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, walls can keep I'm people out. Really walls can also keep people in. Yeah. I want everybody to benefit. Yeah, there, there you go. Okay, thank you, Marie. Good snark. Really good snark. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Every day these days, I'm just like aghast at what's going on. Donald Trump has now come out and said that uh, he doesn't want to provide a military aircraft to Nancy Pelosi for when she goes to visit Afghanistan in a couple weeks. If I can't have my State of the Union address, she can't have her plane. Really? I mean, we're dealing with a 10-year-old in the White House? Yeah, we are. Amazing. 
Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.